This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. Uh, we have a really great guest today. Michael Johansson from Anemo Analytics is going to be joining us. And Alan, what were some of your takeaways from our, our call with uh, Mr. Johansson? Well, Michael has a, a, a series of really great innovations of technology on monitoring of wind turbines and, and then using that data to do some predictive analysis and also uh, determine where wind turbines are not operating at their peak efficiency, uh, which is a, a very unique set of skills that uh, in today's world is really becoming more and more valuable as we try to drive the efficiency of wind turbines towards their optimum it's going to take the the knowledge base that that michael has and his company has to to, to push everybody forward so it, this is a really fascinating technical and, and sort of business related uh, discussion yeah and it was interesting to hear him talk about going from a, a longtime siemens uh employee uh, and finally, you know, taking that leap of faith and going out on his own and, and starting his own company and now how he works alongside some of these really big companies in a very complimentary way, which is which is interesting because as you and I have discussed, sometimes the big companies just want to snuff out the small ones. Right. But uh, he's found a, a really interesting way of just working alongside them and helping to sometimes internally train their employees. And and it seems like he's married uh, what he does really well at his company with uh, a lot of what these bigger companies do. Yeah, his, his skill set is really unique that uh, it's one of those skill sets that uh, maybe a larger company w wouldn't want to have on hand uh, just because he's deep diving into data, a lot of data, and then doing basically predictive analysis of where uh, energy is leaking from. Uh, so obviously working at a large wind turbine manufacturer, you get all the play with all the toys and all the cool stuff, uh, but it, it also kind of ties you into having a nine to five kind of job where you have to be there Monday through Friday. And you don't necessarily have some of the freedom you have of running your own company and sort of doing your own thing. And and, and Michael's taken that initiative and moved on to his to his own own business. And there's as much it's very similar to ours from the from the sounds of it. And the the really key point I pull out of all that is is for his company to be able to offer his resources to the world and to work for a variety of different uh, wind turbine manufacturers and wind turbine operators and provide his knowledge set to a lot of different places because that's what it's going to take to really to make the wind turbine industry it, its maximum production. It's going to take a lot of good ideas from a lot of different places working very hard to, to make wind as uh, profitable as we know it can be. Yeah. So without further ado, we're going to take you to our interview with Michael Johansson of Anemo Analytics. I, I want to talk a, a, a kind of circle back and talk a little bit about your business and why you started your company. So you have had a ton of experience working for Siemens Gamesa. And at some point you decided that, hey, I, I think and I, I want to do this on my own. Can you tell us about your experience in the wind industry prior to, prior to starting your company and why you decided to go out on your own? Yeah, I guess I started in the wind industry at, in 06 where everything was taken off, uh, in particular offshore uh, in, in Siemens and not, not really knowing a lot. Uh, I, I came out of uh, physics worlds uh, doing uh, telecommunication and, and optics. Uh, so somehow a world of uh, the smaller the better, and then suddenly turning into the wind turbine industry, where it was the bigger the better. So I didn't know a thing, right? I, I could just do my math and my physics, uh, and and I, I could spell rather good, and I could do the discussions. But kind of getting through all kinds of different uh, issues, warranty cases, uh, prototype turbines, uh, commissioning. Uh, went a few weeks to Scotland to do commissioning of turbines. Uh, 
spent a few years in Shanghai setting up an engineering department for Asia Pacific. So kind of just knowing the technology from inside out, doing all kinds of weird things. Um, so it's a, it, was a, it was a fantastic ride. It's a great company. I love the technology and I love all the good people working there. But I think just at, at a point in time, I, uh, um, I somehow got stuck as an engineer. I wanted to go back and do something, you know, somehow as a, as a key engineering uh, uh, guy. And I kind of left that in, uh, left that behind. I didn't have time for it in, in corporate. So mm-hmm. four and a half, five years back, I teamed up with an old buddy of mine uh, who has done quantum physics. Uh, and uh, and you know he, uh, I can do my math, but he can do it like to the perfection. Uh, so I could basically, <laughs> having seen the industry, supporting sales jobs in, in Siemens project execution in teams and uh, fantastic projects, uh, fantastic technology, but kind of knowing where the issues were if, if you're on the, on the asset owner side. Uh, and then basically um, we could build up a team where they could do the math, um, supporting asset owners today and in uh, somehow getting a uh, independent uh, fact-based view into their actual operation of turbines based on the data they already have. We don't mount anything on the turbines. We don't add anything into the complexity. It's complex enough already, um, but just leveraging what they what they already have. And so was that a big leap of faith? I mean, it's it's always scary going out on your own, leaving your, you know, your salary and a consistent paycheck and, um, you know, the support and resources of such a big company like Siemens. I mean, what were some of your, what were some of your trepidations about Oh man, am I, I really? Are we really going to do this and, and and go out on our own? I'm sure that was a, a big a big leap. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I, I've been through a, kind of a similar journey in another industry before that, from 2000 to 2005, six. So, but of course, I was I was I was way younger back then, so the risk was not that high. When I left Siemens, I was with kids and family and house and dog and whatever. Uh, so of course the, the gamble was a bit different, but I think end of the day it's 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 mainly a, a mental game. Uh, just look at uh, at, uh, at today, right, with all the COVID stuff hitting all of us. What is really the safety in uh, in a job anyway? So uh, yeah, right. so if, if you can get a, a, across that mental barrier, right, uh, and and you kind of give yourself whatever three, six, nine months to step out and do something, uh, you know, you can always go back and get a job with a nice company again. Oh, um, sure. So, so I, I think it's mainly a, a, a mental thing. It can be a big barrier, but it's not really a barrier. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's just a step in, in, in time. And I, I went through the same process, Michael, and I think uh, you're, you're hitting a lot of points that I went through, which is there, you work for a large company, you get to see all the, the neat technology and all the toys, but at, at some level, you don't get to play with all the toys uh, because you can't. It's such a large organization. They need to be moving in a certain direction, and they don't necessarily want to move in the direction that you want to move or, or maybe that is as is, is mentally challenging as you would like it to be. And that's where a lot of uh, scientists, engineers finally make the break is that they, they see this opportunity uh, that the larger company can't address or won't address because of their size. And it's it's a it's a a challenge, it's a challenge like no other challenge to to go out and to prove to the world that there is this missing piece that needs to be addressed, and you can actually make a significant impact. And you have, I mean, you clearly have. You're making a significant impact on the performance of wind turbines, which is really changing the world. So, in a very small sense, uh, your company is changing the world in ways that maybe you couldn't have done it at a larger company. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I, you, I think you addressed the COVID thing quite nicely, that in the era of COVID, having flexibility is really good. And you can always go back to work for a large company because you have that skill set. But I, it is fascinating to us to watch a lot of the, the, the smaller companies excel during COVID. And I have, I'd like to hear what your experience has been over the last 10, 12 months, how, how, how your company has progressed to this COVID phase. Yeah, it, it's, uh, of course, uh, in Denmark, it was uh, mid-March that uh, the country was closed down the first time. And then it's been a bit on and off since then. Uh, so, of course, uh, right when it happened, you, re- you don't really know or what's going to happen. Uh, but, but I think we, sh- we soon realized that uh, we weren't being impacted at all. Uh, I think we somehow 
lucky to be in an industry uh, and especially working with turbines in operation where you can say, you know, yeah. COVID or not, the turbines keep spinning. Uh, budgets have been placed, right. it needs to be maintained. Right. Um, so, so we definitely saw actually uh, a positive thing um, uh, that uh, a lot of our customers having a really busy day by keeping the turbine spinning. Uh, they had more times mm -hmm. because they're sitting at home, uh, maybe not having all the, the overhead of, uh, of corporate meetings. <laughs> Uh, so we had right. some good, good technical dialogues, um, and uh, we progressed uh, quite a bit on, on a number of, also a number of North American sites. Uh, so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, a good 2020, uh, but but also basically as planned. Uh, so I think it, it we've done reasonably well, but uh, that's that's somehow also how we we planned on it uh, when we started in US uh, two two and a half year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very that's a you raise a very good point that when engineers actually have more free time, they start to think about the more complex problems. And when in a corporate environment, it's very hard to do that if you have paperwork to fill out and forms to fill out, and you have corporate meetings that always last an hour, no matter what you do. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you take those engineers out of that situation, and they're able to have one some quiet time and two the the, the time to think. They're, then they're reaching back out to you, saying, "Hey, I think we have these issues on our on our site." And we need to be addressing them. And now's a good time. I have some free time to think about it. They're reaching out and asking for help. And I think that's brilliant because this is this is the time that really, for especially for the wind turbine side, where investment back into your facility is the right thing to do because you you have you have available people, you have available time. There's 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 like you said, no corporate <laughs> overstructure uh, slowing you down right now, so you can go as fast as you want to. Have you seen? That's that that sort of influx of, of of new customers or inquiries coming from particular places in the world. Is it is it mostly United States? Is it mostly Europe? Is it South America? Where where are your customers typically based at? Yeah. So if we start with the with the later part uh, first, uh, so we started up as a as a company in Denmark, right? Uh, and and with our with our a lot of, a lot of us has a background in in Siemens and some of us also work with mm -hmm. uh, with Austin, uh, in offshore. Uh, so of course, uh, rather dominated by by Siemens turbines, so that's dominating particular uh, onshore Europe and offshore Europe. So that's where we we mm. spend our first few years, and then when we started in US two and a half year ago, uh, there's more and more questions coming in on the GE turbines. So so core business right now is right. Is, is Europe on an offshore, uh, and and North okay. America, uh, and North America is, is rather multi uh, multi branded, um, and and then whether it has moved faster or not uh, for the past uh, past year under covid um yeah you know you, you never you never really know what you would have received if, if it wasn't for covid so whether it's faster true, or slower, I, I i don't know um <laughs> it, it's a tough call as a smaller company like ours right uh, just because customers coming yes. in wouldn't have come anyway i don't know right well it said like a true engineer you have nothing to compare it to so yeah, sorry for that <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that's exactly right. right? That's that's a great answer because it does it puts its it sense into your mind frame right. in your mindset of hey we we're we're in the, we're in the business of comparing data. I don't have data, so I can't compare them, right? Because <laughs> that's what your business yeah, is. Yeah, really, yeah, your business yeah. is really comparing data, right? Yeah, sure. But if I may spin back, then may I link two other topics we discussed then? So roll time, balance, right, uh, and and COVID. So so one of the discussions that at least has been new for the past year. Uh, and you can say one of the value propositions that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for COVID. Then the whole, the whole thing that we on the remote can sit on a portfolio or whatever, five, ten sites or how many sites the, the fleet manager is operating, right. pull out the data and then assess all turbines, individual blades, what is the pitch mass alignment on that blade, on that turbine, on that site, on that tower. Uh, mm. Of course, one of the that has always been a value proposition. Uh, from our side, mm -hmm. but 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 now of yeah. course it's it's an additional value from our customers that now they can sit on remote right either in winter time or in COVID time sitting from back home, and right. and kind of they don't need to visit the turbines. So also the value added of cutting down visits, technicians spending time in a different way on on more pressing matters, has has maybe been accelerated a bit here under COVID. Yo, oh, I, I think I definitely, I definitely, I definitely think so. I think that's been the case. And have have you seen much difference in the amount of uh, I don't want to say business, but, but I mean just the, the the questions coming from 
onshore turbines or offshore turbines? Is it roughly the same? Since you're, you're dealing with both both styles of turbines, is have, have those markets really changed in the in the type of because they're, they're they're different businesses. They're, they're, mm-hmm. The complexities of each one of those is, is, is different. Are you seeing more offshore questions now than onshore? How does how does that break up? Yeah, I guess uh, just as well as the uh, the onshore market is with different clients. I think our experience is that a lot of the offshore clients out of Europe, they also comes in uh, in very maturity levels uh, within this domain. Um, some are, mm. are really up there running a big portfolio and can do a, a really good job uh, in uh, and, and really leveraging their, their scalability in the business. Uh, it, it's really impressive. Sure. Uh, where others sure. uh, are on that journey and they have uh, bits and pieces of it already and, and are now uh, go, going in the same direction. It's also about knowing, 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 knowing those specific customers, right? Just as I said on the onshore market in the US, with mm-hmm. the diversity you have there between clients. Well, there's a diff- there's a different there are different types of problems from offshore to onshore. Can you highlight just what those differences? What you typically see, like you, this offshore these offshore turbines going to have this type of problem, corrosion, whatever, versus the onshore ones, which are more about uh, imbalances. Yeah, it, it, what's what are the differences between the two in terms of performance that that you seem to highlight? Yeah, you can say, of course, there's a big difference between the the business running an offshore wind farm and uh, and onshore, and in particular in the the cost structures. Uh, offshore, you have the vessels that are driving vessels and right. logistics driving everything, right? So so value right. value wise, and then onshore, you can multiply that by three, five, ten. Uh, so so of course, the impact you could do in an offshore wind farm is significantly higher. But if you turn the question around, end of the day, a lot of the turbine individual issues, park control issues, they're the same. It's just a lot more accelerated offshore because wind speeds are higher, loads are higher, fatigue loads are, yes. are coming in sooner. But end of the day, so the issues are the same uh, because it's, it's just a turbine, right? Um, but but, right. but the cost structure might be different and, and the value proposition might be different. And of course, then also bear in mind, uh, this from a lot of the uh, topics we're dealing with, which is in particular within load and enemies control and software on the turbines and on the pack pilots. You know, the, the, the controllers on the turbines are the same, whether the turbines on or offshore. Right. So, so some of the flaws and opportunities for improvements, you know, a, a certain OEM turbine onshore is the same uh, software piece that is sitting offshore just configured a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, right. it, 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 it leaves room for, for the same improvements. And then value Does, impact-wise, you can multiply that by 10 uh, whatever offshore, right? Oh, Does, yeah. so, so the offshore, uh, you know, the much rougher, harsher environment with the bigger turbines, is that excel? What, what problems does that tend to accelerate have, that you've seen? Do you see things get out, out of balance faster, out of alignment faster? Um, what, what's been your experience there? Uh, yes, yeah. So, so from from physics and engineering, it's it's the same thing, right? But but the impact might be uh, might be more severe, and, and failure rates accelerating faster. Uh, but of course, it's also a bit of a a difficult comparison. If I maybe the engineer again, uh, because a, a mm. lot of the work that is done uh, on on the off- onshore machines, being five, six, seven, ten years old, uh, is is not really comparable uh, to a two, three five-year-old uh, offshore wind farm. So it's also comparing a bit the uh, apples and bananas uh, be- mm-hmm. because end of the day, it, it, the mechanical components are the same. If we, if we disregard corrosion, if we disregard all the third-party components the need for right. aviation or whatever offshore, right? If you look at the right. core fundamentals of a turbine, it is the same turbine. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So, so, so a lot of the onshore experiences within loads, aerodynamics control, the methodologies, the capabilities, the competences, it's the same. Of course, logistics is a completely different game. Uh, but, but the core fundamentals of how does a turbine operate? What are the failure modes? How can I look for failure modes? How do I troubleshoot? It's the same. It's a harsh environment, but the failure modes are the same. Well, and so that's an interesting point. We, we talked with, uh, with Bjorn Hedges, and he talked about how it, it does take a good amount of time to really understand a given turbine. So you might have a technician who's an expert with Siemens. You might have another technician who's an expert with GE. And for either of them to get up to speed with the other brand of, of wind turbine, it might take them a good amount of 
you know, a handful of years to really understand the, the inner workings. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you had tons of experience with, with Siemens turbines. Do you see much of a difference with, you know, hey, we've got a brand new, like we, we talked about GE's mm-hmm. new Cypress uh, on, mm-hmm. onshore wind turbine recently. I mean, does it take you any amount of time to get up to speed when there's a new model, new brand or a new style? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Um, it is. Uh, it is not. You can say the core fundamentals are the same, but with the mm-hmm. detail, we look into performance optimization. The details are different. Uh, so to just take another, to take uh, the example we had from before, right? Signal uh, business line. I have mentioned a few times. Uh, it's a concept that's rather easy to understand. Whether it's yeah, with a rotor imbalance in general, right? Whether it's a mass imbalance or a single business line, it's it's a well known issue. But how does that work on a Vestas turbine or a GE turbine running individual piss control? Mm. You know, inherently there shouldn't be any, right? So the whole definition right. of that topic kind of vanish. So so you need to think of it a bit differently, a bit differently, because the control structure of that turbine is different as compared to a turbine running more traditional pitch control. And can we can we go a little bit deeper into to blade mass imbalances? So mm-hmm. how how do you diagnose them and then what's the actual fix because i know obviously everyone here is familiar with with cars right you get new wheels or you get new tires and they have to go balance them right you have those little lead weights that you stick on but i assume they're not sticking any lead weights out onto a you know a 100 meter wind turbine blade so can you walk us through that process and and explain kind of start to finish like how do you diagnose and then actually solve that problem I think on the, I think our general experience is first of all it's a standard model already always deploy when we have data just to get the numbers up, uh, but but it's also based on our experience not the biggest value lever out there on the big uh, on the big uh, OEM turbines and I think a main mm-hmm. reason is that though though blades are related still with a lot of manual labor quality has gone up quite significantly actually uh, in in the production of those blades and then in addition. You typically supplement your commissioning uh, with a balancing of three blades you put on a rotor. So fundamentally, after commissioning, you have a rather balanced rotor. Uh, right. So, so, so that's somehow some of the means that have been put in place to mitigate that issue on the, on the longer run. Uh, but, but of course, somehow you, you will still have issues where blade failures. You repair a blade right uh, with a different uh, mass, and you can impose rotor balance. You might have extensive mm-hmm. uh, leading edge repair. Uh, putting on whatever, uh, introducing uh, yeah. weight differences again. So it can be a certain elements in the lifetime of the turbine imposing new weight imbalances. And basically, mm, what we yeah, do is about that. We, we we pull out the typically we pull out the the G sensor accelerometer on the bed plate, and then we reverse engineer all the accelerations, and we kind of interpretate which accelerations are coming from blade A mass imbalance of how much. And then we wow. provide the numbers on each tower and each plate. And then if, wow. if you're within certain ranges, we recommend uh, there's a standard operating procedure of how to balance plates. And it's physically that you, your technicians carry up uh, ballast weights and mount them in a kilo. <laughs> kilo. I think they are allowed to carry something like 15 kilos at a time. So, yeah. so we chop our yeah. analytics down to 15 kilos of, kilos of pieces and they carry up that uh, ballast weight and mount it in certain places prepared for such in the blades and then you can pull out data again and validate that you got the balanced wow um, okay that's fascinating so so part of, michael part of part of that is driven by obviously if you put a new blade on to the a turbine because they had a blade repair or, or, or just a removal of a blade a new blade put on there's going to be that automatic imbalance but also repairing blades can do that i've seen blades that have been from the lightning side, you see a lot of lightning damage where yeah. there's been massive repairs done on site. And I, I don't know how they balance those blades. Uh, obviously, they, they, they probably don't do a lot of analysis or measuring before the blade goes back into service. It, it is the the repairs, and I'll give you a couple more examples, like the leading edge protection devices that are going on turbines now, the dyno tails that are going on the trailing edges. Do those change the dynamics of the blade enough that you can actually measure the g-forces the accelerometers yeah it's actually all those uh, well meant and with a really good purpose uh, retrofits that you deploy on the turbine throughout the lifetime it all impacts the turbine performance of course both good and bad so so 
the repair work induce uh, increased accelerations and looking at the small differences allows us to tell how much sometimes it's not really big deals other times it is mm-hmm. um, but of course you don't really know before you look I think that, uh, within that domain the biggest uh, thing we, we typically see is actually uh, um, yeah, ch- change of uh, uh, aerodynamical performance of the blades so you basically want to do a power curve upgrade uh, right. gluing, gluing all kinds of stuff on, on the blades as, as you mentioned Sure, uh, it yeah. serves a really nice purpose and you get some additional power uplift but the challenge just is that you only get half of the value that you could have had because you, when you start to change the aerodynamical uplift of the of the blades, you need to adjust your controller curves in the controller. Otherwise, you don't, you know, you're still mm. running with the old controller set. So you only get half the That's value. Right. So, yeah. uh, so it's not on the asset integrity side, but but significantly worth more than your Yorbis alignment correction. Well, that's that's just. That's brilliant because it, it's not obvious, right? I, I think that's one of those places on the engineering side and from the asset owner side that is not necessarily obvious because uh, we see a lot of uh, VG installations going on. We see a lot of larger blade repairs that are happening. And I I, I don't think the owners are looking into what the the can I therefore increase my performance mm-hmm. of my turbines or do I need to, or is it increasing the fatigue or decreasing the fatigue life of my turbine? We don't know. It's just a big unknown. Yeah, just double your AP uplift, right? Because you will get an AP uplift right. from the retrofit and the, and, the, uh, and the upgrade, but you only get half of it because right. you're losing or you're leaving the other half with the old control curves. Wow. Okay, so there's there's a huge value in there for, for a service of like yours to really maximize what is happening on the turbine itself. So if if you're going to do a blade upgrade, what we call a power curve upgrade, that they just can't do that by itself. They need to be also looking at the control laws and also looking at maybe even look watching the turbine for a six month period of time to see if there's any other issues that that power curve upgrade has done to the turbine itself. It's not a one and done installation there there are consequences that mm-hmm. you need to be yeah. monitoring that is fascinating okay i didn't realize which is that. of course also a, a part of the industry how it's structured right that that every mm-hmm. every oem selling off a, a pc a power curve upgrade kit of course it's supplemented both by the physical work with rope guys doing on the pieces but also a software upgrade otherwise they wouldn't get the controller jobs adjustment as i mentioned but the, the challenge is right. if, if any other third-party company is doing it then then it's only the, the, the physical work that is being done. So the, they may not be updating the controller to accommodate mm-hmm. for the, the power curve upgrade yeah. that they made. So the VGs that went on may not be incorporated into the, the actual production of power. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's fascinating. And then wrapping back to the initial discussion, where does single pitch originate from, right? Yeah, but some of the single pitch cases we see as VGs flying off because then you start to have one blade pulling differently than the two others. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you yeah. know, that's, that's why the holistical top-down approach of not just solving that single item, but somehow understanding how the bits and pieces are connected. I think that's that's a key part of the somehow getting some value out of that data part. Well, from the from the asset owner's responsibility, and, and my line of work is probably very similar to yours. It doesn't make sense to have an analyst like you on site everywhere, right? So they're not going to hire an engineer to do your work at the facility full time. That doesn't make any sense. But it it makes sense to tap into your knowledge base frequently. And that's where your business is. You're probably touching a lot of different sites simultaneously. Uh, that it's more economical to hire you and to for you to do that analysis, being as the uh, subject matter expert, versus hiring somebody to be on site full time. That's a dedicated employee. Mm-hmm. Because most wind turbine asset owners do not have a large enough staff to incorporate someone like you. But you're a very critical piece in terms of <laughs> power production and, and lifetime. You're talking about lifetime mm-hmm. issues here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, which, yeah. But it's also based on the on the on the on, on the you say the feedback and the understanding of that you know the technicians they have a core insight into their their mm. domain and what they can bring to the table. The back office guy or girl right have a core insight into their piece of the puzzle. And if we start putting on all the right. pieces on the table and start assembling that puzzle, then you would know where to get started. So is there a, is is part of your business a a, a training knowledge? Um, business where you need to uh, 
make the technicians aware of some of these different aspects they maybe not have thought of before, or that the asset owner may not have, have thought of before. Is that it's part of the, part of your business just an education and uh, bringing people aware of what is actually happening out there? Mm, uh, yes, yes, and no. Uh, if I if I may rephrase it differently, uh, I think as, mm. as I, I really love my time in big corporations like uh, Austin and Siemens, and they do fantastic things. And they're so bright people. Yeah. Uh, but, yes. but what they already have yeah. is, is a really large investment on tools, IT, skills, great people and all that, right? Mm. Uh, and, and as a small right. company like ours, we also need to acknowledge that we cannot really conquer the world. It's, it's an unbalanced game. So right. all, all the stuff we, we're doing back office with the math and the analysis and stuff, that has been spun out into individual IT modules that we plug into the customer infrastructure so they can do it all themselves. So it's not like a, a, you can say a, a, an online training course we are we're conducting, but, but we acknowledge that we are not a company that will try to put in yet another IT platform with the right color buttons and all that stuff. Uh, it, it's more like we, we have some IT pieces and if they want to do it themselves, that's fine because we acknowledge that you have an infrastructure already, which we kind of guess and know, and then we put on our IT modules and then they can do all the math themselves. Uh, independently mm-hmm. of us, and, and in, in that methodology, there's a certain element of training. Well, yeah. So you're you're not you're not they're not going to rely on you forever. I think that's yeah. what you're yeah. saying is that there there's there's a training element, and you need to bring them up to speed because obviously they they do have their own IT infrastructure, yeah. and they obviously they do have capability on hand, but they just don't know where to look. And so that part of your business is to to get them. Uh, off of the training wheels sort of business into doing their own thing. But that takes that can take several years. I know when, when I help aerospace companies on lightning protection, same thing on wind turbines, there's, it's like a three to four year process before they can kind of do it on their own. And in that, in that transition period, people like you are extremely invaluable because you can get them to the answer faster. And and that's where their, their profitability can increase because you can get them um, where they couldn't have done it themselves, it would be much more expensive to do that themselves. And yeah. is is that sort of where your sort of your sweet spot of your business is? Is that you are that subject matter expert? You can bring in that knowledge, particularly if they're a relatively new owner and they're buying a relatively new turbine. Uh, I think you can bring a lot to the table in terms of just analytics to say, okay, let's just watch how these new turbines perform, and then we can decide what we need to go do, if anything. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's definitely. Uh one of the spots where we tap into, but but I think the, the, the learning is also that it's also in, in rather mature, really large US corporations running mm. really large portfolios, uh, but but where they have acknowledged that, you know, and that's also my opinion, they do the math and the physics and the turbine understanding way better than we're doing, but we can provide speed and we can provide the solution tomorrow. So so there's really no right. way of, yeah. uh, of not buying into that uh, uh, opportunity. Um, if they can sustain their independence and leverage their scalability in the business, why wouldn't they buy the nuggets instead of developing everything themselves? Yeah, you guys right. are agile. You can just yeah. jump in there and get the job done. That makes sense. And, and on the other hand, we are not at the size of a company that could take over their responsibility, right? So we're somehow playing into each other's strength rather than uh, trying to do everything ourselves uh, individually. That seems mm. like that's probably really important in, in, in your sales pitch to a big company where it's like, look, we're not trying to replace or do your job. We, we like we can coexist really well, and we can fit your company, your big company, and just compliment you guys. Yeah. So you know pretty much based on the type of turbine that a site may have, what the list of issues typically are. So, so when you actually come to a, a potential client, you have a toolbox of knowledge that says these particular wind turbines have these kind of issues and this is how we can help you mitigate them. I think that's very important if, if I'm an operator or a manager of a site because a lot of times uh, it's very hard to get that kind of information mm-hmm. out of the OEMs that it's, it seems to come from third parties of that, that track what's happening around the world to provide that information to the local wind turbine operator. So when, when you come in there, you, you're coming prepared in a sense that you have uh, identified based on your knowledge where some key issues are. And at that point, then you're listening to the, mm-hmm. the wind turbine side owner 
explain what problems they're having and try to, to match the two together. Are, are, are a lot of the wind turbine sites seeing a lot of difficulty in terms of broken equipment? And is there a consistency there that you're seeing right now? You know, uh, yes and no. Um, of course, the differences between brands, mm. between platforms within brands, uh, depending whether it's onshore or offshore, we work quite a lot offshore in Europe also. Uh, you get it, that's the US also now. Uh, but at the end of the day, what yeah. drives the business case on the asset owner side, you know, blades, gearboxes, driving drive uh, generators, uh, and all the big component stuff, that's the same. And it's been for the past 20 years. Um, so, sure. so it's not really that big a surprise always what we look at, uh, starting top down. Um, but, but the ways we have now in front of us with looking into different data streams and so forth has, has improved significantly throughout the, the last few years, right? So, uh, so, so, yeah. So, so I think it's, it, it boils a bit back to that. We, we are fundamentally an engineering company. We might, you know, spend our day looking into a screen with the data and IT and math and physics, but we're an engineering company. Sure, sure, and and data is really key to your analysis, right? That you need data, you need data to be able to process to 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 point out where those difficulties mm -hmm. for that asset owner may be. In the sense of, if they don't have any data, it's very hard to help them. Uh, obviously, if they have just broken equipment or they have uh, bearing failures or blade failures, those are pretty easy to, to diagnose at times. Uh, but I think you you dive in a little bit deeper. You can actually take some of the data off the turbines, it sounds like, and then analyze that to say these are where your key areas are. But I think, is there a lot of data from some, particularly some of the older turbines, say they're 10 years old, is there a lot of data from those turbines besides just breakage and damage? Yeah, I, I tend, uh, if, if, you, if you ask me 15 years back, uh, then uh, the data streams are, are not that uh, consistent and uh, the quality is not that good. But but 10-year-old uh, wind farms actually has a, a reasonably good mm. uh, data infrastructure. Um, and, and, and what is data infrastructure? It was never anticipated to be a data infrastructure. It, it's like, it, it's a PLC that runs a turbine. It's, a, it's an industrial PC operating a control system. It's like whatever you yeah. have on your laptop, mm -hmm. it was never anticipated right. to generate a data pool, but now it's there. Why don't we just pull it out and do use that as a baseline for the assessment? It, you know, that's that's what the OEM are doing. OEMs are doing to balance the inner warranty discussions, to know the pricing of the service contract and so forth. Right. Um, so, so it, uh, yes, correctly, the, the data is there, and uh, and and. Uh, a part of the assessments we do is uh, is based on, on that data we pull off uh, those turbines. Uh, but I must also be honest to say that a lot of the assessments we do is based on the data that the customers already have in their hands. Uh, and if they look with a, uh, in certain dimensions, that, then they would see also what uh, what that data resembles on on operational performance. Sure, they they just don't have the experience to to put the right perspective on the data, and I think that's really important because when you start talking about data analysis at this level, you're looking at very very relatively small differences uh, and variations across turbine to turbine that may add up to uh, losses of thousands, mm -hmm. tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars over time, and so you're able to pick out that little bit of variation. I think that's really important here. It's, it's, you're picking out, uh, based on your knowledge and based on your ability and your engineering ability, you're able to pick out those where those variations are and what, what they mean. Because sometimes the data is not very clear. Uh, uh, right, so it, it takes a little bit of experience to put that. So even the asset owner may not be able to discern what this variability means that's where they're coming to you right they, they may see the variability but they don't they can't interpret it and what and what mm -hmm. part of the turbine do i need it to address you connect those dots right isn't isn't that kind of how your business works that you're you're connecting the data with the with the real world equipment yeah that, that's a good way of seeing it but i think it's also to to demystify it a bit uh, i think actually before we connect the dots we pinpoint what is the question we will try to answer Yes. So 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 yes. so it it's actually it it doesn't have I, I know some of the models we're running is it's not it's not right rocket science but it's somehow sophisticated uh, engineering models but but we also have solutions based on standard ten minutes data that that tells you the uh, gear oil differential pressure 
So, so why would you go to a turbine do angular service on a on a filter that is not really uh, contaminated? Uh, or, or right. you know, it, it's subtraction of two numbers. It, it's really not fi finding a, a standard deviations of of, uh, of small sizes. It's just what is the question? If the question is uh, pressure drop across the inline filter, yeah, but then it's just subtraction two numbers. Right. But it starts with a question. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I think it, when you add on the engineering part of it, I think that's where the, the yeah. magic occurs. Uh, obviously, to, to engineers, <laughs> I'll, I'll phrase it this way, to engineers, sometimes the black magic isn't so black and it's not so magic. It seems relatively straightforward because you've been in that in that industry for such a long time, it seems somewhat obvious to you, but it's not obvious to uh, a lot of other people. And I think that's I where agree. your value lies yeah. is that because you have a very specific skill set, a very specific skill set, which is extremely valuable to a lot of operators and asset owners that you can diagnose. You're like a physician. You're like the doctor. You're the physician. I have this, I have this pain in my side. How do I get rid of it? Yeah. Or I may not even know that I have it, right? Yeah, I may I have it like yeah. a, a growth that I don't know I have, yeah, right? Exactly. So I need to get rid of yeah. it. But that's actually a good, good image, right? That's also why I, whenever I, someone asks me about Jormus alignment, yeah, yeah, we can find Jormus alignment. But, but you know, it, it's like the old man going to the doctor, uh, having been running for his entire life. I'm always a bit of a herd in my feet. But, you know, I have, I have other issues that are, that are more important. Um, right. so, so why yeah. would I start mm -hmm. with, the, with the small stuff? There's so much value elsewhere. Talk. Uh, so obviously you've been in the wind industry for a long time. You've seen a lot of changes in the industry. And as we start to, to move towards the end of the conversation, I want to get your take on on jobs, on young people who are interested in en entering uh, the wind en energy industry. So first, how have you seen things change over the, the course of your career? And then um, in, a, in a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm probably going to ask you, you know, what some general advice would be for young people who are looking to get their feet wet and get started and make a name for themselves in wind energy? It, it's, uh, it's actually a really difficult question, I think. There's so many things playing into it. And also the context that, that uh, the context and the career you, you want to pursue within the wind turbine industry, right? Because there's, there's so much business to be done. There's so much new technology coming in. There's so much existing technology to be maintained. There's so many different skill sets that are actually needed. Uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to generalizing. Let me ask you a, a, a targeted question then. As a as a boss of a of a small company, what are some of the skills that you really value in a new employee? And what should young people, and not necessarily just young people, but again, people who are looking to make a splash in the industry, what what skills should they be trying to cultivate? Are there new skills uh, driven by by data and new technology that they need to be? Um, staying current with yeah i think if we just look at ourselves uh, and and somehow to get uh, on board you, you need to be a reasonably good engineer uh, just as you needed to be 20 years ago mm. uh, you need to know your math and physics you need to know uh, you need to have strong side in mechanics or electricals uh, a strong side that is supplemented by also understanding the context uh, and it, that's like core fundamentals uh, and and they haven't really changed of course, what has changed a bit is that whatever you specialize within that engineering field, it is more and more driven by data, right? So you need to be have kind of flair for for doing some kind of analysis. You don't need to be a core data scientist, and you for sure, certainly not, does not need to know anything about new networks. Uh, you need to know your math, and, and that's it. Uh, uh, and then uh, around the engineering piece you're looking at. Um, and then, then you would have uh, other capabilities on the on the IT side or business IT supporting how to structure terabytes of data, how to get the flow up and running so you are removing inefficiencies and you don't sit with the Excel sheet doing whatever, but it's in a in a pipeline and you can do your analytics in a modern way. Um, so, so I think the two main skill set is on the core engineering, supplemented by the flavor of looking into IT, and the core IT with the flavor of looking into what is actually the need from my engineering colleagues. Hmm. Um, so, so in that way is it sounds rather generic, but that's basically how it comes. Mm -hmm. And then I think uh, we, we talked about it the other day in preparation for this uh, in office. And, uh, and then you need to have some fun in your spare time. A lot of uh, a lot of the people uh, working with us they play uh, they play music in their spare time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why, but that has turned out to be uh, uh, a good 
a good indicator. Uh, I don't know if that's generic, <laughs> but but at least um, it's it somehow it's, it's not really rocket science. But you need to do your stuff well. The the fundamentals. Well, it sounds like you value employees who have a an overall life balance. It sounds like you want employees who have a life outside their job, and that's maybe making them more productive when they do come to work. Yeah, definitely. Or a lot of the time, uh, my co-founder Tommy and I would take a run during the week uh, before lunch. Some of the best uh, how to filter a certain element of data to remove noise or whatever. That's during the runs. It's not by sitting looking at a screen. It's by getting out there. But of course, having 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 said that, you don't get the ideas by only running right or by only doing other stuff. You need to put in the hard work. Right. Otherwise, you don't really create the questions you will solve when your brain get a bit of freedom. Right. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly how it works. It's it's very odd to hear that to hear somebody else say it, but it's exactly how it works. It's like you have to put in the hard work, and sometimes the answers do not appear when you are doing the hard work. The answers appear when you're not thinking about it. Like your brain has a time, a little bit of time to relax and to stretch possibilities. That that's when the ideas pop out. And uh, it, it, yeah. it, you, I think you're right. It does take a certain subset of people to think that way. It's not. Uh, it's there's no there's nothing you can necessarily pinpoint on a resume to say this this person can do that. But maybe besides just experience, but having a little more well-rounded personality and and I think in wind turbines that's really true that having a little more well-rounded of a personality and being willing to adapt to different situations is really beneficial in mm. wind. It really is. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. Well, and I imagine with COVID, you know, there's a lot more communications skills that people need to have because you're not going to have those face-to-face, yeah. Yeah. you know, right. meetings. You're not going to have those those business lunches and those dinners where it's a lot easier to break the ice and get to know people. It, has it been a challenge for you trying to get your message across and and meet with new potential clients, um, you know, because of COVID? And uh, you know, is has the skill set with a, as far as communications changed significantly? I don't know if that's changed, but it's, it's a really good point. And, and that's one of the, you could say, capabilities that are really difficult to both maintain, but also just building uh, from from scratch, right? Uh, you learn so much by, by talking to different customers throughout US, comparing that to what are the questions we're getting from Philippines or whatever, understanding the bigger context and getting mm. all the feedback from the end customer. It's a fantastic, it's a frustration thing, right? But it's a fantastic learning curve. Uh, and of course, with the COVID stuff, and uh, we cannot go to the customers on site and actually, you know, really see stuff and, uh, and 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 take that learning. And it's like getting that insight. Uh, so of course, there's some limitations in that. Um, but on the other hand, as I said before, uh, I think the number of uh, live meetings has gone up uh, quite significantly. So we still get a lot of really good feedback and guidance from the people who know better about real life problems, uh, which we try to find data afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the real training camp, right? Somehow building up that experience base from for each of the for each of us, uh, and also making sure that, well, now you mentioned the new GE turbine, right? Which I haven't seen from the inside yet, but, but a lot of the other new brands coming out, of course they change, and we need to also stay on the beat of what is the new within the control mm -hmm. stuff so we can look for opportunities within that space. So Michael, you bring a lot of capability to the table and your, your knowledge base is really extensive. What is that value proposition that you're making to your potential customers? How are you approaching them and how can you help them in the, nor in the short term and then also in the, in the longer term? The, the first value proposition we bring to the table whenever we engage with a new customer is be specific. Start with the site, and then we basically assess the entire performance of that site and we squeeze everything out of it that is left on the table. Mm. Whether it's within park electricals, single turbine underperformance, uh, or, or whatever we find in that uh, the process, uh, together with, uh, with the internal uh, key people on, uh, on the domain side. Uh, that, that's always uh, the first step. And also somehow building some some trust and uh, getting to know each other from the collaboration side. Mm -hmm. uh, the steps forward uh, has taken different paths. Uh, for some clients, we end up doing the entire portfolio they're having, so more on a fleet level, uh, where we roll it out. Uh, and for other clients, uh, they insource some of our uh, solutions and capabilities for the internal organization to, to leverage the scale they have. Sure. 
And then how that plays out over time, because I know you like building long-term relationships. How are those uh, progressed over time? Is, is, it, is it that they're relying on, on you as just that, to, to bounce off ideas, to bounce off concepts, or, or is it still a lot of data analytics as you go three, four, five years into a customer's experience? No, we, we have some uh, rather long uh, customer experiences, both, uh, both in Europe and in offshore, mm-hmm. North America also, which, which are highly appreciated. That's also uh, where we have a lot of feedback. Um, so, uh, so, of course, everyone within this domain are on a journey. Uh, and I think us as a multi-brand Indian company, uh, we see a lot of things on our way. So, so there's continuously... Uh, relevant topics from a value point of view to discuss with our long-term relationships. So we haven't seen that they somehow uh, die out. Uh, there's always new uh, new analytics, new value pools to be uh, to be implemented or, or explored mutually. Yeah, it's, that's just brilliant. I, I, I agree with you. I think as the as turbines age and as uh, sites age differently and have different types of, of issues that it's hard to to correlate that information and you can be that key resource to bring new information to the table so that the, the next site doesn't have those issues. I think that's brilliant. Well, Michael, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, this is a really interesting conversation and, and very wide ranging as well. Uh, and I, I especially appreciate the glimpse into, you know, how you started your company. Cause I think a lot of people out there who are in your shoes, you know, very experienced um, as an employee of a big company, um, they do. They struggle to take that first step. And I think it's a really, uh, it's, it's an exciting time, you know, and it's a, a scary thing. And it's, it's cool to see how your business has evolved since then and how you coexist with these big companies now. So it seems like you have found your niche and really fit in there well. So uh, for those of you out there, you can follow up with his company, Anemo Analytics at anemo-analytics.com. And you can also follow them on LinkedIn. So definitely be sure to check out his company's website. And Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks a lot for the opportunity and the discussion with both of you. It's really interesting. All right, well, we're going to wrap up today's episode of Uptime. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from each show. For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.